Sometimes you need one person unafraid to bring courage out of many, many others. 300 plus bills are being proposed that follow Ron DeSantis' lead in pushing back against the pro-transgender ideology in the classroom. And I'm going to show you the money trail behind the movement these states are fighting. There's always been a fight for truth in the public sphere. Will Christians and pastors step up or will only the progressive sexualists do all the talking? And where does Easter come from? Should you attend your local church's egg drop? I discuss today. Plus, golf can glorify God. Welcome to your favorite night of the week, The Deep End on Tim Hatch Live. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It is Tuesday night, 730, and I'm here, and you're here, and we're so glad. I don't care if you watch it live or post live. We're so glad that you're here. Well, I do care. I'd love you to watch it live. I know you're very busy and you have other things to do, but if you would, let me know if you're watching live by letting me know where you're watching from in the comments below. I always love to hear your feedback. It is episode 23 of season five on the deep end, and I am your humble host, Tim of Tim Hatch Live, youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. Like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. You know the whole thing. We got to do a little bit of a deep end follow-up. Remember last week, I didn't do the deep end, but I did do a quick news segment. By the way, let me know if you like the quick news segment down below. If you haven't seen it, go watch it after the show, not now. But we talked about the fact that Tesla CEO Elon Musk bought a 9% stake in Twitter and then was appointed to the board by its CEO shortly thereafter. The stock skyrocketed. Everybody was excited. And then Musk went on to Twitter and started tweeting suggestions well, wake up Monday morning yesterday, and suddenly the deal's off. Elon Musk is not going to, to join the Twitter board. Uh, in fact, he not only is he um, not joining the Twitter board, but all of his suggestions on Twitter were deleted. And it's almost as if the whole week didn't happen. And everybody's wondering what happened. Well, the reasons might be that his suggestions were met with the same hostility with which Twitter received any opposing viewpoint, which is to say, not good. Uh, Twitter is the least free speech platform of all the social media platforms of all. It is run by totalitarian leftists. And that is absolutely clear. I mean, the Babylon Bee, a satirist, Christian news site is still in Twitter jail for saying the truth that Rachel Levine is a man. <laughs> but nonetheless, the other reasons might be, and this is my hopeful reason, is that he actually wants to buy them outright. See, being a board member for Twitter, he was restricted to owning only 14% of the stock. But if he's not a board member, he could buy as much as he wants and he could become a controlling influence in the company and change it completely. And I want to just say, Elon. Elon, Elon, do it. Please, please do it. Anyway, on to some really good news. Really, really, really good. That's really good news. It's good. So remember when, Ren, remember when Ron DeSantis signed the Florida bill banning discussion of sexuality and gender with kids up to the third grade and the whole world acting like he was Hitler? And then instead of backing down, he just got up and Will Smith them all by signing the law the day after the Oscars? Those were great times. And guess what? Many other states and legislatures are following Ron's lead. See, there's always a four, first man through the wall. Ron DeSantis took a stand and a bunch of other people are going to take a stand as well. And that's all it takes. Someone that needs to say the truth in the midst of confusion will inspire others. David killed Goliath and the nation of Israel rose up, read it, 1 Samuel 17, rose up in boldness afterward, routed the Philistines. One man's willingness to fight, fight for truth. Put, to, put the fight in those who were formerly silenced by the intimidation of Goliath. And let me just tell you, church, 
in every generation, there's an intimidating Goliath. In every generation, there's somebody taunting the church and saying, you don't have what it takes, and you are a nobody, and who do you think you are? We run this town. And right now, those are the sexually licensed weirdos, the loonies in our public education system. And thank God for people like Ron DeSantis. But again, where are the pastors? Where are the preachers? Where are the, where are the biblical scholars standing up in the pub, pulpit, in the public sphere, doing shows like this and speaking out and informing their congregations and others that, you know what, there is a fight for truth to be had and we need to do something. So this from Bloomberg News, the title of the article, anti-LGBTQ proposals are flooding U.S. state legislators, legislatures at a record pace. You gotta love how these articles are written, by the way, too. Look at the first paragraph. This year is heating up to be another record-breaking one for anti-LGBTQ legislation, legislation in U.S. state legislatures. Uh, it's always anti-LGBTQ because there's this perpetual victimization of the LGBTQ culture that has to happen to legitimize their agenda. It, it just always victims. Someone's always anti them, anti them. My, my, my Someone tweeted out the other day, what if there was a bill saying you couldn't teach the Bible in public schools? How would Christians react? Um, you can't teach the Bible in schools. That's already in place. Like this is the moronic nature though of the secular progressives. They never understand that there is another side that might have a different point of view and they are very hostile toward them. The article goes on and says, in an attempt to fire up a conservative base ahead of midterm elections, Republican legislators have proposed at least 325 bills so far with about 130 targeting transgender rights specifically. That's already ahead of the 268 introduced last year. Uh, a total of 27 made it into law in 2021, the worst year on record for anti-LGBTQ legislation, blah, 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 and so on and so forth, and complain, 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 because they are always victims, victims of the fact that there is such a thing as truth and they don't like the truth and they want to hate the truth and they already hate the truth. And Jesus said that men love darkness rather than come into the light. And so they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. When the light shines, the cockroaches scatter and they get all kinds of mad and they flare up and they get angry. But, 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 but you've got to understand something that this is, this is the way that they frame it. Did you see it in an attempt to fire up a conservative base ahead of the midterm election? So this is now a political issue. When it is people of a traditional mindset concerning marriage and sexuality, it all of a sudden is don't talk politics. But when it's a liberal person, when it's a progressive person who wants to change the rules about sexuality or change the rules around gender, change the rules around age of consent even, and all kinds of things like that, then it's not a political issue. Then it's civil rights. Then it's human equity, you know, equality, and all those kind of nonsense terms that they come up with to shape and frame the argument in their favor. But when you push back, suddenly it's a Republican political agenda. Like, no, no. There are people who disagree with the sexual progressives and it's called a free country and and people like us have the right to stand up and speak. The article goes on and says, in March, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill that bans instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity, dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill. The legislation has already inspired copycat proposals in at least a handful of states including Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Ohio. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said this week that he wants to pr prioritize passing legislation that mimics Florida's. Yes, good. A separate law requiring Texas public school students to play sports based on their assigned gender at birth took effect in January. Yes, good. <laughs> Last month, Arizona Doug, uh, Governor Doug Ducey signed two bills into the law which banned some type of some types of medical procedures for transgender youth and prevent transgender students from participating in school sports consistent with their... Uh, gender identity. Uh, Anti-LGBTQ legislation has also been signed in Arizona, South Dakota, Iowa, Oklahoma, Utah this year. Okay, this is really good news. Really, really, really good. 
That's really good news. No, I, I changed my mind. This is great news. This is great news. Some people have the guts to fight back for the kids. You see, I, I, I don't want to upset you on the deep end. I want to inform you and I hope to inspire you. And you might think, as some of you do, I know this, you think um, it doesn't matter uh, the culture is going to get worse. And even last week, I talked about that. We got to get back to the time of Jesus' return. We 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 do. We got to get to the darkness of Jesus' return. Like he came the first time. It was very dark. We can go back to that darkness before he comes again. I agree with that. But <laughs> imagine if previous generations did that, you know, in in, in um, the fight to abolish slavery. Imagine if people was like, well, you know, slavery is bad and it's evil, but you know what? It's got to get bad when Jesus comes. So, you know, just let slavery continue. Uh, or Jim Crow laws, you know, segregation, all those kind of things. Imagine if Christians never stood up, and Christians did, by the way. No, Don't let anybody fool you. It was Christians who upended uh, the, uh, the, the the program of selling human beings into slavery and, and so on and so forth. And the Bible condemns slavery. Anybody who says, oh, the Bible's pro-slavery. No, you're not reading the Bible rightly in its original context. Um, there is a specific text in 1 Timothy about slave trading, which is completely ungodly. And it, it, it just undermines the whole argument that the Bible is pro-slavery. Anyway, that's for another discussion. I should do a quick news video about that. Uh, this is good news, though. It's great news because we've got to fight and we've got to say something. And I believe that you can say something. And so don't think that just because you are of no report or that Jesus coming back is going to get dark, you shouldn't say something. No, you should say something. When it comes to all this transgender promotion, we have to understand that there is a money trail behind it. You, you, you might be saying, how did this happen? Like a recent survey shows that 20% of the youngest generation in this country identify as LGBTQ, 20%, one in five. Compared to about 3% of the boomer generation, about 5% of my generation. Like, there's an increase. there, and, and it's not because of acceptance. It's because of promotion. It's because of the cultural promotion from the media to the government to the uh, universities to the school systems. is promoted, promoted, promoted. And when you promote it, whatever you celebrate gets repeated. And people call this progress. It's not progress. It's social engineering. And guess what? It's financed by some highly invested players. See, you always need to follow the money. You always need to follow the money. Remember a couple episodes ago, not a couple episodes, like 12 or so episodes ago, well, even more than that. I did a talk on John Money. Interesting name, follow the money. John Money, who was this ridiculous doctor who used a kid suffering from a botched circumcision as the premise for transgenderism. Remember I talked about that? We can link that show below in the description just so you can follow up on that. How literally the whole movement of transgenderism is based on his corrupted work, his sexual abuse of minors, and his fabricated science. I mean, seriously, this is dark. But his name is interesting because when it comes to transgenderism, it really is all about the money. This from the Washington Free Beacon, the title of the article. The White House is pushing per puberty blockers for trans kids. It's relying on a problematic, problematic study. Now, I read this article, and you should too. But I'll read most of it for you here. <laughs> Here's what it says. The Biden administration's support for gender-affirming care, the progressive buzzword for gender transitions, comes as conservatives push to stop prescription of hormones and puberty blockers to children. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has called on the state's child welfare service to, abuse, to open abuse allegations or investigations sorry, into parents who give puberty blockers and hormones to children. Uh, the Trevor Project, look at this next paragraph. The Trevor Project study, published in the Journal of Adolescent Health and cited by numerous outlets, claimed that teenagers with access to drug and drugs and procedures to change their genders were less likely to have depression and suicidal thoughts. The organization polled nearly 12,000 transgender and non-binary youth, offering gift cards to some participants. In the uh, inciting the study, HHS 
that's Health and Human Services, said early use of the drugs was crucial to the well-being of transgender children. Avi makes Lupron, a drug designed to treat premature puberty that is sold off-label to transgender children. The company also sells Androgel, a testosterone booster used in female-to-male transition processes. Allergan makes materials used in gender re- reassignment procedures. Here's what it's saying. That the drug companies that produce the drugs that are being now given to minors and adults to transform or train, change their gender, there's no such thing, but to make them feel or to inhibit their natural uh, pu- uh, puberty process is actually a money-making scheme by these drug companies. Um, let me put this up on the screen. This is part from the uh, article as well. Drug companies have ramped up funding for LGBT groups and transgender research in recent years. A group of Stanford researchers who released another influential study this year endorsing hormone treatments received funding from Pfizer and Arbor. According to a report from the Daily Caller, Pfizer sells estradiol, an estrogen hormone used by males transitioning to females. Pfizer is a sponsor of the Human Rights Campaign, an LGBT rights organization that was also cited in the HHS, HHS document touting treatment for transgender children. So what you have here is big pharmaceutical companies paying a nonprofit pro-LGBT rights organization to fund research that promotes the idea that their drugs are actually helpful to prevent suicide in LGBT kids. This is, this is amazingly corrupt, and no one reports on this stuff because it is against the narrative. The same way Elon Musk upends the narrative of Twitter, this news upends the narrative of the pro-sexually progressive crowd and the LGBTQIA plus dollar sign ampersand people. So let me make sure that you're getting it and understand what's happening here. Let me put this on the screen, this little chart. Abby and Allergan, who make... Um, Drugs used in the, the uh, um, inhibiting of puberty, so puberty blockers or estrogen blockers or testosterone blockers or pro-testosterone. So they make the drugs. Those companies fund the Trevor Project, a nonprofit organization that promotes the idea of transitioning and gender-affirming care. And they produce a study called Gender-Affirming Care for Young People that the White House and Department of Health and Human Services uses to advocate uh, for <laughs> what uh, for transitioning minors to the opposite sex. This is corruption, friends. And by the way, Pfizer, through the Human Rights Campaign, is also involved in this. They do a roundabout. They don't fund the Trevor Project, but they fund the White House study that the Trevor Project produced. And all of this is used to promote gender confusion in our public education system, which builds momentum for the annual Pride celebration coming in June. And I just have a feeling that we are going to see a June Pride Month as we have never seen before in light of all of this stuff with the Florida legislation and the other legislations coming across, uh, the laws coming across the the legislatures across this nation. Um, You you could just imagine what June is going to be like this year. But but notice the idea of gender-affirming care. I have this from the actual study produced by the Trevor Project. What is gender-affirming care? It is a supportive form of healthcare. It consists of an array of services that include mental, surgical, mental health, and non-medical services for transgender and non-binary people. Then I put this. I'll put this up on the screen. This is a this is a a, a, a chart of the types of affirming care. So there's social affirmation. When is it used? 
at any age and reversible or not reversible. Then there's puberty blockers. These are hormones to pause puber, uh, pubertal development. It's used during puberty. It's reversible. Then there's hormone therapy. This is, uh, um, this is used during early adolescence and onward, and it's partially reversible. And then there's gender, gender affirming surgeries. That's when they uh, cut off the breasts, cut off the penis, you know, <laughs> on and on and on. Uh, it is not reversible. And, and here's the thing. <laughs> Why? And it's a very important question. In a um, care, healthcare uh, agenda, do we, do we need a category that discusses whether or not it's reversible, right? Like, just think about that. I thought this was saving lives. Why should we care if it's reversible or not? Why should we care if it's reversible? Like, there's no reversible category in cancer treatments, is there? Or in heart surgery, like open heart surgery, but is it reversible? Because I might actually want the plaque in my, in my arteries. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like th there's this reversible category because they know that there's so much confusion around this, that kids who claim that they are the wrong gender are actually so confused. They might not actually be in the wrong gender. So they actually have in the study a discussion of whether or not it's reversible. So <laughs> you see people... I, I share this with you because we've got to understand that there is money to be had by the drug companies that are promoting this nonsense through the Trevor Project and other organizations that the White House is now adopting as, as truth without true, in-depth, longitudinal studies on whether or not these prescriptions are actually good. Now, we as Christians know God made the male and female. There's only two genders. We know that God does not make mistakes. And we know that the very that the, that the true gender confusion, gender dysphoria numbers are so astronomically small, and they are usually able to be treated with other forms of care. I believe uh, ultimately there are some demons involved here. There are some there is some darkness involved here, and we Christians cannot be ignorant of the devil's schemes, as Paul tells us. But we also have to be wise as serpents and shrewd as doves and follow the money and understand. This is why there's a fight to be had. This is why, thank God, there are over 300 bills being proposed across the country to counteract this undercurrent of confusion and social reengineering propagated by a federal government that is led by a man who promised to govern from the middle and is doing anything but. There's a fight to be had. Take New Jersey, for instance. New Jersey just released their curriculum for the next school year, the 2022-2023 school year, and it's alarming Parents. Evidently, the state plans to require second graders to learn about gender identity in the fall. This is from Fox News, New Jersey, to require second graders to learn about gender identity. Um, yeah, they're going to tell kids <laughs> uh, all about gender identity instead of teaching them math and arithmetic. Yeah, this is New Jersey. Sa uh, New Jersey will be a safe place for things like uh, this to happen. Watch this. Um. I ended up telling the, my students that I was gay. Fifth grade student. Um, and how it came up was one of the students, I uh, was like, you know, my mom thinks that you're gay because of your voice. And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. So, so they were asking me if I was, because I kind of alluded that I was. So I kind of let them wonder and ponder on it. And I have like, um, you know, like the LGBT uh, promotional, like, uh, this is a safe community kind of stuff, the rainbow stuff all up in my room. And I told them, I'm like, if you look around the room, that should give you an answer to your question. So I did officially tell them, um, 
they of course went berserk. So instead of teaching social studies today, um, they just asked me a whole bunch of questions about being gay. So I think it was pretty well. Yeah, so instead of teaching social studies, I mean, there it is, right from the horse's mouth, okay? Instead of teaching social studies, we had a whole conversation about my sexual proclivities. Yikes, a fifth grade teacher. There is a fight to be had, ladies and gentlemen. There's a fight to be had. Sadly, not many preachers are doing much about this. Not many Christians are saying anything. And again, do not fall into that trap of, well, it won't do any good. They'll be, yes, it will. What if Peter and John, after they get arrested for preaching Christ in Acts chapter 3, and they get thrown in prison, and then they get released, and they go back to the church, and they're like, it didn't do any good. What if they were like, it didn't do any good. They threw us in jail. We preached Christ. It didn't do any good. What if they just did that? Like, man up. First Corinthians 13. Act like men. Like, we've got to be strong. Do we forget what Paul said? There is a fight to be had against the rulers, the authorities, the principalities, the cosmic powers. Oh, this present darkness, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against these heavenly forces. I mean, he writes that text in Ephesians chapter 6 on the heels of talking about children, fathers, mothers, wives, husbands, the home. There is a fight to be had for the home, for what makes up a family. And these wicked forces are at work through humans to destroy your Children, consider Austin, Texas. You'll never believe this from the Daily Caller. Texas teacher claims 24th graders out of 32 students identify as LGBTQ. 20 out of 32. Now, <clears throat> this teacher went, uh, th this teacher didn't go public with this. They, uh, I forget if it was a girl or a boy teacher. Who knows if they know. <laughs> but they sent private memos to the rest of the uh, faculty that we need to do more to promote the acceptance of LGBTQ because I had 20 out of my 32 students come out. Little did you know, though, there's not reported in the news that a couple of weeks earlier in this school district in Austin, they held, they hosted a wellness walk, which was really just a pride parade through the school, including drag queen celebrations. And they told five-year-olds to keep the conversations that week away from their parents. So school has pride week one week, promotes LGBTQ stuff like a religion, hangs banners, flags, invites drag queens in to speak. What do you think the kids are going to do? The kids are going to fall in line because they're impressionable, because they're teachable. And a teacher in a Boston public school, no, sorry, a Boston charter school, um, did the following talk to first graders. Watch this. And something, something cool about me, Miss Hammond? All right. All right. So something that's really cool and unique about who I am is that I am transgender. So we touched a little bit about that at the beginning of this week uh, in the book that Miss Hammond read. But I'm going to give you my explanation about what it means to be transgender as well. So when babies are born, the doctor looks at them and they make a guess about whether the baby is a boy or a girl based on what they look like. And most of the time that guess is 100% correct. There are no issues whatsoever. Um, and, but sometimes the doctor is wrong. The doctor makes an incorrect guess. Um, when the doctor makes a correct guess, that's when a person is called cisgender. When a doctor's guess is wrong, that's when they are transgender. Oh my gosh, I can't take anymore, I can't take anymore. Um... This is, <laughs> this is judge's territory, ladies and gentlemen. Everyone did as he saw fit, okay? And, and we've got to step up and we've got to say something. We've got, to, we've got to have more pastors do stuff like this that I'm doing here on YouTube. By the way, like, and subscribe, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. If your pastor is not doing this, I encourage you to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. I, I want to be a voice for you. I want to, I want to be a, a voice of reason, truth, to bring your attention to these things so that you understand the fight that must be had. Um, and I don't say this to attack. 
anybody, really. I just say this to say, look, Christians, you've got to know you're not of this world and you got to start acting like it. And you've got to also push back because you're a tax-paying citizens of this country and you have a right. You have a right to express your opinion. Show up at the board meeting, show up at the PTA meeting, show up at the school committee meetings, do whatever it takes. I mean, at this point, we cannot, we cannot spare any, any efforts. The reason why is because only, only the other side is doing all the talking. Again, when we talk about this as conservative Christians, they call it being political. And I get crap from people in my church. You're being political because you're talking about LGBT. Are you kidding me? When the other side does it in the church, it's just equity and inclusion and tolerance. No, it's also being political. You can't have it one way for one group of people and another way for the other group of people. Consider this video from a Presbyterian church. This is going to knock you out. A prayer to the gender god on, uh, in honor of Transgender Day of Visibility. Watch. This past Thursday, March 31st, was the International Transgender Day of Visibility. In the PCUSA, we welcome all of our transgender and queer siblings into this family and relationship with the Creator God. So today I wish to pray a prayer that was written for this incredible day. Will you pray with me? Don't pray. Don't pray. This is not a prayer. This is insane. Oh God of pronouns, we give praise to the Great One, the one who was identifiable as God. I am what I am, you say the great they, the incarnate he and she, the God of trans being. Impregnating Mary, fathering God, breastfeeding God of many breasts, you, shadow, you shatter all stereotypes, making every single person male and female. Male and female, intersex, non-binary, in your letters. image. Mm. Exactly, in your image. Okay, I can't watch any more of that either. But <laughs> this is what the other side in the church is doing. And when they do it, it's called freedom of expression, tolerance, equity, uh, progress, whatever. When, when conservatives push back, it's called being political in the church and we should take away your tax-exempt status. I mean, no. You can't have a one-way street. Pulpit politics has been a one-way street for far too long, and I am telling you more than ever before, Christians who believe the Bible, who understand what it says and believe and trust it, need to speak up. You need one person. You need one person to run through the wall. Maybe you're on staff at a school. Say something. Maybe you're an administrator. Maybe you're just a neighborhood watch person. I don't know. Say something. If you see something, say something. This is a fight to be had. And if you can't say something, then pray something. Like, right? Pray that God's truth will prevail. Pray for your pastor to preach the truth. Pray for your pastor to um, preach the truth with boldness. I can tell you as a pastor myself, I covet the prayers of my people. The Not my people. <laughs> That's bad. God's people. I covet the prayers of the people that God has made me a pastor to, that they will pray for me and lift me up and, and make my words bold in Jesus' name. See, we have forgotten, we have forgotten as Christians that the battle that we are fighting is not about feelings, it's about truth. Truth matters. Jesus did not say, you shall feel better and your feelings will set you free. No, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. In an age in which feelings dictate reality more than ever before, the church 
needs to dictate truth because truth leads to freedom and freedom feels great. It might not feel good to get the truth. Like when the doctor tells you we've got to operate, doesn't feel good, but aren't you thankful when he operates and roots out the tumor or the cancer? I mean, it takes boldness. It takes guts. It takes a willingness to be hated and despise and, and to have people criticize you and maybe not talk to you anymore at the um, bus stop. I don't know whatever your picture of human relations is, but we, we, we have a call in every generation. In every generation, there has been a fight for truth. And now more than ever, we need to fight for truth today. Okay, that's the news. Now let's do something Easter related since we're only a few days away from the resurrection. Amen? The resurrection Sunday, resurrection Sunday celebration. And I wanna do a deep endopedia on the roots of Easter. Yeah, Easter is a few days away, or rather Resurrection Sunday. And I love this Sunday, um, just like I love every other Sunday. But when it comes to Easter Sunday, it comes with a lot of extras, doesn't it? Like the bunny, the eggs, the egg hunt, and in my case, the egg drop. Um, in my case, in my church's case, the epic helicopter, 30,000 plus egg drop extravaganza. And the question might be, to egg drop or not, should we... Should we eschew any version of Easter in the name of pure Christianity and just show up at church and celebrate the resurrection? Well, I want to give you the details and then you can make your own decision because I'm not here to dictate what you should do. I'm going to make a suggestion at the end, but I don't want to dictate what you should do because you know what? You're a human and you're an adult and I think you have brain. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit and he can guide you. But let's talk about this from the grave to the bunny. How do we get Easter? How did we get Easter? Now, I got a couple of words up there. They're all written in different languages. There's Pascha, which is the Greek word for uh, Passover, uh, or it comes from the Aramaic, Pasha, and the Hebrew, Pesha, the Passover festival. Now, I am probably mispronouncing every single one of those words. Forgive me. English is my second language, and I don't even have a first. Okay. So, anyway, Easter is the time we remember Christ's resurrection. And, and I want you to think about the terms around Easter. Uh, well, at least the terms around resurrection, uh, from death to life. That's a term. That's a phrase. New life, um, life out of the death, life out of death. Just how about just the word life? These, these terms, these words, these phrases are, are what make Christianity such a powerful movement because death is one of two unavoidable realities. We all know the other one a couple days away from that too, right? The hope of the resurrection is what separates our faith from every other. So let's dig a little into the, Wikip into the deep endopedia. I almost said Wikipedia <laughs> because Wikipedia is corrupted. And if you go to the Easter uh, post on Wikipedia, which I did, it is um, outdated and it is substantiated only by one source. I'm going to talk to you about that source. Let's discuss the claim that a lot of Christians in the name of Christian purity make around Easter. Here's the claim. Easter is rooted in a pagan holiday celebrated the Norse gods of the medieval Scandinavia. Therefore, it is an attempt to cover up the original meaning of Christ's resurrection and Christians should avoid any association with it whatsoever. Now, it either goes one or two ways, the Norse god uh, in Scandinavia or the Anglo-Saxon gods of ancient England. But here's what I'm going to say. Not so fast. Not so fast. See, sometimes the internet is not our friend. <laughs> sometimes most times 
Every Easter, I, I, I'm a pastor, right? So every Easter, I get grief from some web-surfing junkie theologian who feels the need to correct me by telling me that we are celebrating a pagan holiday. So they'll come up, you know, we really shouldn't call it Easter. We should call it Resurrection Sunday. Because I searched the internet for 15 minutes before I came to church. I mean, really, that's what's happened. You know, in church, and, and church people are famous for trying to smoke out the demon that's not actually there. I mean, we literally have demons in the people teaching our kids about gender and sexuality, and Christians say nothing, but they give their pastor all sorts of grief over the word Easter. Anyway, that's a diatribe for another discussion. I digress. Let's talk about the fact that, well, how we got from the grave to the Easter bunny. The claim that Easter is derived from the pagan goddess Istore is based on one 7th century English monk. His name was Venerable Bede, who asserted April was the month of Easter Monoth. Uh, Easter, an Anglo-Saxon goddess in pagan England, pre-770 AD. Okay, so the problem here, guys, that the anti-Easterites are making, uh, claim Easter is a pagan holiday, is that there's only one source. There's no second source for this whatsoever. That's a serious problem. Venerable Bede was an English monk from 673 to 735. And if you do your research, you'll find this is true, that not just Christian historians, but atheist historians agree that this is all based on one English monk's assertion of the month of Istoromoth, um, named after the Anglo-Saxon goddess Istora. You don't base facts on one source. That's like um, Research 101. And everybody, anybody ever do a paper for college or even high school? You got to cite your sources. You got to have a bibliography. You got to go to many sources and get, you know, even the scriptures talk about this. By the mouth of two or three witnesses shall all things be established. When one person says something, you have to see where'd you get it and how many people have cited it and how many people have said that. Okay? So let's talk about the truth, though, of where we get the word Easter, the Easter origins. The Latin phrase might be a, a key. The Latin phrase in albus, which means in white. Christians used to use in reference to Easter week, found its way into old high German as um, Easterum, which is the German word for dawn. Another, another um, possibility is Easterumoth meant the month of opening, which is comparable to the meaning of April in Latin, the season when buds open. So again, remember I said the terms matter. The grave is open. Buds are opening. Uh, even the sun is getting brighter. It's not getting brighter. It's just looking brighter because we're getting more sun um, as we go and head into summer through spring. So the terms matter, and you have to understand that not everything in ancient times or medieval times that wasn't Christian was devoted to demons. <laughs> not everything. Sometimes they just looked, and I've done this for Halloween too, for all the anti-Halloweenites out there. Sometimes you just have to look that the world looked at nature and creation and saw rhythms and changes and transitions and seasons, and they celebrated it because it's cool to throw a party, okay? Just because some pagans got drunk and had sex with a bunch of people doesn't mean you should avoid having a party and celebrating some things just in natural creation. Any Christian that has walked up a mountain, looked over the horizon, and saw the valley and the glory before it and said, whoa, this is amazing. I'm glad I did this, is celebrating creation. That's not pagan necessarily, okay? But we've got to relax a little bit and understand the history behind the origins of Easter. So in the church world, the first ecumenical council, believe it or not, in AD 325, the Council of Nicaea set the time for the annual Easter observance in Christendom. This is 325 AD. 
Now, where does eggs come from? Or do eggs come from? Eggs were forbidden to be eaten as early as the 13th century during Holy Week by the church. The church is very famous for doing this, right? And all the Catholics who don't eat meat on Friday said amen. Uh, Eggs produced during that time were considered holy during Holy Week, of course, and therefore they were decorated. So, oh, we're not going to eat these eggs. What should we do with them? Let's paint them. Like, that's what they said. And then many many gave eggs to the church on Good Friday as an offering. And then uh, very simply... Eggs are associated with the resurrection. Jesus comes out of the tomb. Uh, the little baby hatchling comes out of the egg. I mean, this is not rocket science. It just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Now, where do eggs come, egg hunts come from? Because that, surely that has pagan roots. Well, the only documentable evidence that we have of that comes from my good friend here, Martin Luther. Here he is with the bobblehead. He usually sits he usually sits back there on the shelf next to Albert Einstein. I don't know if you can see him back there, but he's up here with me today because Martin Luther, fifth, uh, 16th century monk in Germany, um, started uh, celebrating egg hunts with his congregation in the 16th century, uh, and he would have the men hide the eggs for the women in the church to find them. And the reason why is because in scripture, the women found the empty grave and reported it to the men. So amazingly, your local egg hunt is quite (laughs) pro-feminist. So, you know, kind of interesting, all this origin stuff. And I I do this on purpose because we Christians, again, like I said earlier, are, are famous for freaking out over things that are not demonic while ignoring things that truly are demonic. Where do we get rabbits? Where do we get the bunny from? We got to talk about that. So obviously we know that rabbits are well known to be prolific procreators. They are an ancient symbol of fertility in life. You know, rabbits um, produce <laughs> very well, okay? And this is nothing uh, new, uh, but the word Istoria is an Anglo-Saxon goddess of fertility whose animal symbol was a th- uh, bunny, that theory has been disputed by atheists and Christians alike. There is no literature on this until the 19th century. That's the 1800s. You've got to back up your sources. And again, one uh, English monk said it in the 700s, and everybody believes this to be fact and true. Maybe not necessarily. Uh, The Easter Bunny arrived in America in the 1700s with German immigrants who settled in Pennsylvania and transported their tradition of an egg-laying hare called Osterhaus, or Osterhaus. I don't know what's the difference there. And then, of course, we know, like I said earlier, that rabbits are known for procreating prolifically. But did you know this little scientific data here that rabbits have an ability called superfetation? I don't know how you spell that, pronounce that, but anyway, which means that they are able to conceive a second litter of offspring while still pregnant with their first. Which, how many of you women would like that ability? No, (laughs) Um, but it is kind of interesting that there was a rumor before science, you know, found out that it wasn't true, that uh, a female bunny rabbit could impregnate herself. And that's why she was so prolific in procreating. Of course, this has been debunked by science. But before they debunked that, a lot of people associated the bunny with the Virgin Mary because she got pregnant without any help from a man, right? Not, not a man, but the Holy Spirit. So all of this stuff is the background behind the Easter celebration. And anyone who's telling you that the name Easter is rooted in paganism has not been intellectually honest. They've done a few short-term surfs on the internet 
and arrived at a conclusion that they already wanted before they set out to study it. I set out to find out the truth. I'm showing you a very condensed version of the truth so that you know it and you can trust me, hopefully. And at the end of the day, the question about should you Easter is really a question of can you glorify God with it? Like um, what Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, celebration of Easter, Easter egg hunts, coloring eggs, whatever you do, I love the little word, whatever, because whatever means whatever. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Should I Easter, pastor? Should I? I say yes, for heaven's sakes. The happiness index in this country is plummeting. Inflation is rising. War is breaking out. People are getting shot in the subways of New York City. And, and we pray for them, right? The people who suffered tragically this morning. Take the kids out. Get outside as the weather warms up and let them have some fun and hide some stinking eggs and relax. And if you need any more help, I'm here. I'm here to make sure that you can enjoy Easter. Maybe a little version of shock therapy will finally do it for you. <laughs> and that's that. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Speaking of that, you can even play golf to the glory of God. Robbie Scheffler wins the Masters. This past weekend, the Masters was played and a strong, committed Christian won. Amen. He said, the reason I play golf is I'm trying to glorify God and all that he's done in my life. So for me, my identity isn't a golf score. Like my wife Meredith told me this morning, if you win this golf tournament today, if you lose it by 10 shots, if you never win another golf tournament again, I'm still going to love you and you're still going to be the same person. Jesus loves you and nothing changes. All I'm trying to do is glorify God and that's why I'm here and that's why I'm in this position. And good for you, Scotty. Uh, we need more men like that who will speak up and say the truth. Let's see, do I have time? I do have time for just a little bit of, do you mind a little bit of COVID crazy? Because I told you it's not going away. If you have a physical covering with one layer, you put another layer on, it just makes common sense. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. Also, the science has changed. People should not be walking around with masks. Yes. <laughs> if everyone wore a mask, you could cut expected deaths in half. Because I represent science. <laughs> COVID is never going away. I told you that, and it's not. Guess what? I saw this yesterday in the news. Um, mask mandates are coming back, and it's starting in Philadelphia. A reinstituted indoor mask mandate to that city just in time for the NBA playoffs, which should be interesting as we watch NBA stars flout the mask mandate while the petty commoners who watch the games have to mask up. <laughs> so remember that flu that just about everyone in the country got and survived last year? It's on the rise again in some areas, and it's time to mask up. And it's going to happen in cities known for their dominant left-wing views. And at the same time, reports are coming out that the, the, the states with the least lockdown measures, the least stringent policies regarding the COVID pandemic, actually did the best the final results are out. And this from the New York Post. New York, California failed in handling COVID, but Florida was among the best. 
A study published by the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, Greatest States by Comparing COVID-19 Outcomes Based on the Number of Deaths, the Economy, and Impact on Education. Overall, the bottom 10 on the study's report card were dominated by states that had the most severe pandemic lockdowns and were among the last to finally open schools. Shutting down their economies and schools was by far the biggest mistake governors and state officials made during COVID, particularly in blue states. Stephen Moore, one of the study's authors and co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, said Monday. So it turns out that the COVID lockdown measures and strict measures on masking um, did not actually work. The study actually found that the states that locked down businesses, churches, schools, and restaurants for lengthy periods did not actually have lower death rates than those that largely remained open. Ah, man. All the grief that I got from some people in my church, even, uh, who <laughs> attacked me for just not buying into this nonsense. Uh, and and, and now it's coming out that we were right. People like me were right. There was an economic report card done on how states have recovered from the COVID pandemic. And I'll put this up on the screen. If your state is green or bright green, it did very well. If it's red or dark red, it got an F. And New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, where they're masking up again. <laughs> California, Oregon, uh, Washington, Illinois, are you, uh, Rhode Island. Are you noticing a trend? They all failed their constituents, failed them miserably. Why? Because when the government tries to control you, you don't flourish. When you control yourself because you know that there is a God to whom you are accountable, you flourish. The freedoms that we have in this country, they are rooted in the Judeo-Christian philosophy that there is a God who will hold us accountable for the good and the bad that we did. And one day all the books will be open and everybody and what they've done will be laid bare. And if we live in the light of that, we will live with great fear and respect for others, respect for our body, respect for our neighbors, and most importantly, reverence for our God. And that is something that no government can produce. Amen. Thanks for joining us tonight, guys. Uh, support the channel if you can. Some of you are signing up as regular contributors to the channel. Want to build that group. I need you to be a sponsor, a deep end sponsor. Would you consider getting to timhatchlive.com support and becoming a monthly sponsor as several people have already done? It helps provide the funding we need to get this content out. We do want to, we want to do a bunch of advertising. We want to put it all over the web. We want to get this material in the hands of as many people as possible. Maybe you can't speak up, but you could help me speak up by amplifying my voice through your funding. And I already have a full-time job. I'm not getting paid by this. It's to help promote the content. So thanks for joining me. Uh, unfortunately, guys, not looking good for the deep dive tomorrow. I, I say that because it is Holy Week and I am a full-time pastor. That is my day job. And I want to make sure that I am on point for our Good Friday services and our Easter Sunday services. So I will be postponing our discussion of Romans 12 for another week. I know that might upset some of you, but bear with me as I give attention to Resurrection Sunday, <gasps> Easter Sunday. <laughs> Glad you guys were here. As always, the Deep Ed is brought to you by TimHashLive.com. Get on over there, buy the book, buy some swag, follow me on social media. I'm so glad that you were here. Leave a review on the Deep End podcast, or sorry, the Tim Hatch Live podcast, and join me in um, a week for the Deep End again. Have a great night. <laughs>